Acts 26, verses 1 through 32. We are in the third part of our little mini-series here of Speaking Truth to Power. Acts 26, verses 1 through 32. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So remember last week, Paul is before Festus and Agrippa together. But he was primarily, but we focused last week primarily on how Festus reacts and what he's saying to Festus. Now we're looking primarily at how uh, Paul is speaking to Agrippa. So Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to, are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me on the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. 
Note that the resurrection of Jesus is central to the gospel message. It is the point of contention. It is the stumbling block for the Jews and foolishness for the Gentiles. And that's why we're going to read here why Festus responds this way. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king rose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Paul speaking truth to power. Nothing to boast of himself. Nothing where he can say, look at this. This is what I am. This is who I, you know, what I have done. You know, Nothing. And today, as, he, as, as we're looking at this passage, as he's speaking primarily to King Agrippa, it's very clear Agrippa knew about Jesus and what was going on in the early church. He even refers to it as, do you want me to become a Christian? That was a word that was being used in Antioch and then had started to spread. It wasn't even you know, something that was right there. So he's very familiar with what's happening. And, and it's not just a knowledge of the way like Felix, you know, Felix, it says he was well acquainted with the way, and the way of Jesus. Here, Paul says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Now, that's a remarkable statement. Either through a word of knowledge from the Holy Spirit, or what may have been common knowledge, Paul is aware that Agrippa knew enough or has been convicted enough to actually believe what is written about Jesus. And then, when you look at what Agrippa is saying, based on his statement that Paul could have been set free, Agrippa knew enough and believed enough to know that what Paul was saying was true. Otherwise, he could have said, oh, you know, all this stuff is just wrong. He's just making things up or he's saying things that are false you know, imprison him. He's causing a, a, a riot. He's causing problems, right? But he knows that what Paul is saying is true. And so he says, that this man has done nothing that's deserving of death or imprisonment. Paul believes, pardon me, Paul is stating the truth and Agrippa believes. However, it is very clear that Agrippa did not surrender his life to Jesus. Now, Agrippa's resistance to the truth of the prophetic fulfillment, you know, what was there in the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets, what was given as prophetic word, the fact that that was fulfilled in Jesus and that the rest of God's truth is, is evident, is there, is known, 
He knows about it, but he's unwilling to accept it because he does not want to lose his power or his position or his privilege or whatever favor he has with the Jews. He doesn't want to lose any of that. We've already seen this kind of behavior with Felix and with Festus. And we understand that many people in positions of power and wealth don't want to accept God's truth for a variety of reasons. And by the way, it's not just those who are in power. It's anybody who would, doesn't really want to accept this because they think it's a threat to them. They think it's a loss for them. They think it somehow will cut something out of their lives rather than give them all that they need. And so for a variety of reasons, people say, no, I just don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go into this. But we also saw in the last two weeks that we have at least two sets of responsibilities as we speak God's truth. And the first one is this. We have to be led by the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can convict. The Holy Spirit can bring transformation. The Holy Spirit can change the heart and the lives of those that are hearing the word. So that's our first responsibility, that we would bring that word with great strength by the Holy Spirit to let the Holy Spirit speak through us to bring conviction. And the second responsibility that we said we have is that we have to share the wisdom of God and the hope that we have, the hope of God. So we receive the wisdom of God to be able to answer the questions that people raise. We receive the wisdom of God to speak that which is true and reasonable, that we would be able to logically and clearly explain, this is what we believe. This is why we believe it. This is what we have as our hope. And so we have that second responsibility to speak the wisdom and the hope of God. This morning, I want to add to those responsibilities one more very important comprehensive directive, a third responsibility for us as we speak truth to power. And that responsibility is based on the fact that Paul's message to Agrippa was personal and therefore undeniable. Paul's message to Agrippa was personal and therefore undeniable. He's not speaking about somebody else. He's not talking about the church and whatever. He's not speaking about you know, somebody else's experience. He says, this is what has happened to me. You know and you can verify these things. You, you know how I've lived. And this is what has happened. So he provides a very detailed account of his life before he encountered Jesus, right? So, th I mean, this passage is a great uh, summary of Paul's life in that regard. And we've seen accounts like this in Acts 17 and so on. But here, there's a good summary where Paul says, this is what my life was. I lived as a strict Pharisee. I was doing these things. I was maintaining the law. I was, I was going about persecuting Christians. And then he says, this is how I was converted. On the road to Damascus, this blinding light, Jesus himself speaking to me, I knew I knew that this was God that was intervening in my life and I had to be faithful to that vision and for what God had called me to. But through the course of this, this discourse or this course of this defense even, this course, the course of what Paul is describing, Paul presents a great summary of the evangelistic process. What happens 
when we talk about, when we say evangelism, what's actually happening? What is that process? What does it look like? And by the way, it is a process. It's not simply a one-time thing. It's not simply that you would say, come to the front, accept Jesus, say the sinner's prayer, you're done. That may be the prompt by which someone makes that final decision or, or yields to or submits to the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. But that process started before that, and that process continues even after. And so we think about it when we talk about evangelism and the evangelistic activity, it is an evangelistic process. And so I want to read to you, I want to share with you how Ajit Fernando, in his commentary on Acts 26, he describes this evangelistic process in four parts. And each of these statements that I'm reading, each one of these things comes directly from Acts 26. So go back and reread this chapter and become familiar and say, okay, see, I see this laid out. I see how he's laying out the process by which we would come to know Jesus. And so the first part of this evangelistic process is that God calls and enables people to be witnesses for him. He appoints us as servants and witnesses to what we have experienced of Jesus. He commissions us to go to the people, protects us from our opponents, and helps us through our ministry. Christ himself, the first to rise from the dead, proclaims light to Jews and to Gentiles. So the first part of the process is what God is doing, what, what he has done, what he has accomplished, and how he commissions us. The second part of the process is that in our role as witnesses for Christ, we must respond obedi obediently to God's call, that commission, what he says that he wants us to do. We must testify to both small and great to those in power and those in not, that are not, who are not. But we have to testify about what God has done. And in so doing, their eyes are opened to the truth of God. And to achieve this, we must say things that are true and reasonable, full of the wisdom and hope of God, so that people will be persuaded about the gospel. Behind all of this, is our hope and our prayer that the people we encounter will experience genuine, life-transforming, based on repentance, by faith, in Christ Jesus, salvation. Right? So that's the second part of this process. The third part of this process is that when we are speaking to people, when we are going through this, it's, so it's sort of overlapping a little bit with this step or part two, we preach that people should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. We say nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. We're not making something up. We testify that the Messiah had to suffer and that as the first to rise from the dead, he proclaims light to the people. So this is the message that we're bringing. This is the way in which we're communicating it. We do not rely on our own wisdom, but we rely on the wisdom of God and the prophecy of God and the fulfillment of the prophecies of God. And we say, this is what we're sharing with you. Right? And then in the fourth part of this process, the result of this ministry is that people are saved. 
Their eyes are opened. They turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. On their part, they have faith in Jesus, repent of their sins, turn to God, and prove their repentance by their deeds. On God's part, he forgives their sins and gives them a place among those who are sanctified, who are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, we are now joined together in the body of Christ. We are joined together in the family of God, in the household of faith, in the church. That's the process that we talk about or that is part of when we say evangelism. We're declaring these things. We're praying. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to move. We're seeing people saved. Now, if you're sitting here and you believe, but you didn't go through this process exactly the way that I described it, <laughs> that's fine. There is, this is not a fixed method. You may have come to know the Lord in some other way. There may have been a different means of how you came to know about Jesus. We have heard that we know the stories of people who've had dreams and, and visions directly. Nobody spoke to them in this way. Nobody shared the prophecies from the Old Testament. They came to know Jesus in some other way or they came to know Jesus directly. So by all means, if that's your experience, wonderful, praise God. This is the typical process as such that we would talk about, that those who are commissioned would go and share, would speak with conviction, with persuasion, and the Holy Spirit convicting would cause people to be saved, right? So Paul is sharing this gospel message. You, you realize that when he's doing this, that court full of people, it's not just King Agrippa one-on-one -on -one with him. It's the whole court of all these officials and people who are sitting there and hearing the gospel message. Hearing that this is what Jesus has done. Hearing and understanding that this is how they can respond to this call, to this gospel. And as he's sharing this gospel message, there's one very important point for us to note. Paul is confident that he has lived obediently and consistently to the call of God. Did Paul make mistakes? Sure. Did Paul do things that he shouldn't have done or go places or do stuff? And you know, did? Sure. And I'm speaking after he was converted. Before he was converted, he was certainly not doing all the right things. And he was going against. He says, I, I, was, I was persecuting Christians as if they were blasphemers. As if, as if they were blaspheming God. But then I came to know that I'm the one who's opposing God. And so clearly there's this B.C., before Christ, life of Paul, and then his A.D., you know, after Damascus or the road to Damascus, life of Paul. But he's, he's speaking to Agrippa, and he is confident. He's very sure. He says, I have lived in this way. I have been faithful to the call. You know, now we have seen these kinds of references and we know of other references where Paul says, and when we were talking about finishing well, we said, Paul, Paul's very confident. He says, I have run the race. I have kept the faith. I have fought the fight. I, I, you know, I, I've done these things. I, he's very confident about it. But here with Agrippa, similar kind of thing, where he's confident about what he has done and how he has lived. And he speaks of his life in very certain terms and terms where Felix, Festus, and Agrippa 
They can argue about the validity of Paul's claims. They can say, well, we don't really know, we don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They can argue about that point, but they cannot refute his personal testimony. They cannot say anything about him when he says, this is the experience of my life. This is what has happened. This is how I have lived. And so, because they cannot find fault or a reason to charge him with any crime, they say, we don't have anything. His personal testimony is undeniable. And so, that's the point that I want to make to you this morning and the charge that I would make to you that we need to pay attention to. You see, the result of Paul living his life the way that he did is that he is able to say to Agrippa, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. You've got to be pretty confident that you are living according to God's call for you to say to a court full of people and to the king and everybody else, I wish you could become like what I am. How do we say that to people around us? Do we have the confidence to go to them and to say, I wish that you would be living your life the way that I am. Paul makes these statements. He says, I wish that all of you would be like I am. I pray to God. Pardon me. I don't, not even that he says, I wish that you were. He says, I pray to God that all of you will be just like I am. In other words, I pray to God that you will be disciples, followers of Christ. That you will be ambassadors, missionaries of the gospel. That you will be servants of Christ. That's how Paul describes himself. He says, I'm a bond servant of Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. So he says, I, I am praying that all of you will be followers, disciples, missionaries, servants of Christ, just like me. I pray that you will be Faithful, prayerful, diligent, enduring hardship, working miracles, driving out demons, loving people, and finishing well. That's what I'm praying for you. Paul is, Paul is saying that he has lived a life worth imitating. Which brings us to this point of application that the charge for us and the step that we need to take and the statement that we need to be able to make is this. I want to speak by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to speak with wisdom and hope, but I want to live a life that is worth emulating. I want to live a life where I can say to somebody else, I wish you were living like me. That's... That's a challenge. Because we often want to say, I wish that you would live, or I pray that you would live like Jesus. And, we, and it's the right statement. I'll come to back to that statement. Or we would say, I pray that you would live like Billy Graham. Or I pray that you would live like, you know, this, this wonderful person over here. Or I pray that you would live like this, like my, my, my mother, my praying mother. She was a saint. I pray that you would live like her. 
But how often do we have the confidence to say, I pray that except for these chains, you would be just like me. You know what that requires? That we live a life of such obedience, such testimony to God, testifying of the work of God in our lives, that we live a life that is submitted and yielded to God every single day, that we would say, I am dead to myself. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And when we are able to say that with confidence, we can say to somebody else, hey, live like me. Live like me. When we speak the truth in love, we sometimes speak to those in power, and sometimes we speak from positions of power. But the important question this morning is regarding the testimony of life that we are leading. It is only when we have that testimony of life that we can speak with confidence into the different areas of our lives. And I want to say to you, I want to emphasize with you, that the testimony that the Lord calls us to is not compartmentalized to just how we behave in church. It's not saying, in church, you know, I'm a really good Christian. When I see the, my brothers and sisters, I always smile. When I have prayer meetings, I pray for them. When I come to the communion, I wait for the other people to go in front of me. You know, I am such a good Christian when it comes to church. But when it comes to my marriage, oh, well, that's a different story. My spouse. If you knew my spouse, you would know why I do the things that I do in my marriage. When it comes to my parenting, oh, if you knew my kids, you would know why I do the things I do about my kids. My job, oh, if you knew my boss, you would know why I do the things I do at work. When it comes to citizenship, you would know that if you just looked at the government around us, you would know why I live the way that I do in this nation. When it comes to each area of my life, I can tell you why I don't quite live up to what the Lord has called me to. But it's not my fault. Isn't that what we typically do? We have justifications, explanations, rationalizations to say, hey, if only this was different, this could be different. I'm obeying the call of God, but if only these other people would do what they were supposed to do, then I'd be good. No, I want to challenge you this morning. By the way, as I've said many times, when I prepare a message, it's for me first. And I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. The testimony of our lives it's not just about what people see. You see a certain thing of me when I stand up here or when I'm interacting or whatever else. You don't see me for most of the day, most of the week. You don't know what I do, what I think, how I behave. It's not just how I present myself here. The testimony of my life has to be that in every area of my life, in every day of my life, in every kind of challenge that would come up, I got to bear the same testimony. I got to be able to speak the truth of God in my words, my thoughts, my actions consistently. Not just for a period of time, not just for 27 years, 
not just for, well, not 27 years, actually. You know, maybe two out of those 27 years. You know, I, I, I mean, I've got to be able to say, Lord God, it's not just about this season, this time. This. All the time, every day, speaking in this way to say, Lord God, I want to live according to your word. I want to live according to what you have called me to. I want to testify of your work in my life that has transformed me from the inside out. I was a persecutor of Christians. And now, this is who I am. And I wish you were just like me. I pray that you would be just like me. Oh, that's the confidence that we need to have. That's what we want to pray for. A church full of people who are saying to the world around them, I pray that you would be just like me. If each one of us is living like that, if each one of us is having that kind of confidence that if you are called on to testify in a court of law and that you have sworn to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, would you be able to say, yeah, I'm confident. I'm confident in my marriage, in my parenting, as a student, in my labor, in my workplace, in the exercise of my rights and privileges as a citizen in the church. I am living consistent with the call of God in my life. And by the way, I want to tell you that the word emulate, when we think about the word emulate, or when I put this word up there, I did it on purpose because the word emulate means to match or surpass a person or an achievement typically by imitation. It's not just imitating, it is to match or surpass who the person is that you're trying to imitate. And so when Paul speaks about, I, I pray that you would be like me, please understand, he's not saying, I pray that you will be as good as me. He's not saying, I pray that you will be as good as 90% of what I do. You know, He's not saying that. Because he makes it very clear when he speaks to Timothy, he says, imitate me, as I imitate Christ. He's not saying, be like me. Be like Mike. You know, that was a big slogan, right? But, you know, it, be like me because I have done all these things. He's saying, be like me in as much as I am like Christ. He's pointing to Christ. And so for us, when we say, Lord God, we look to you, who do we emulate? We can emulate Paul in the sense that we can say we want to match or surpass what Paul did, but it's because we are trying to imitate Christ. And with him, of course, with Christ, there is no matching or surpassing. There is only to come close to, to approach, to be like. But the Bible tells us that when we are following in Christ's footsteps, when we have the mind of Christ, when we obey Christ, and we seek to be like him, as each one of us becomes more Christ-like in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, as the words of our mouths come from the overflow of our hearts, we will speak truth to power. Heavenly Father, we thank you. 
And through these weeks, Lord, we have just been so blessed to know that we have a responsibility to speak your truth, to speak your truth to everybody, and especially those, Lord, whom it may seem like they don't need it, they don't want it, they are resisting it, they may even believe it, but they don't stand for it. And we pray, Father, that we will be people of conviction, people who are transformed by the saving grace of Jesus to speak truth, to speak truth in love, to speak truth consistently, to speak with words. But Lord, even as we were reminded a couple of weeks ago and what we are reinforcing this week, Lord, that our lives would bear the testimony of your work in us and that we would be able to say to anybody, I pray, I pray that you would be like me. Oh, Lord God, grant us grace that in every area of our life, Lord, not just what people see on a Sunday morning, but in every area of our life. And Lord, for the people who are closest to us and know the intimate details of our lives, that they would be able to say, this person is bearing the testimony of God in all areas of their life. Oh, Lord God, we want to speak that with confidence. We want to speak that with strength. We want to speak that with joy because, Lord, you will enable us to do that. We ask for that. We ask for that power, that ability, that grace, that anointing. In Jesus' name, amen.